0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We welcome you all to another session. Bi'idhinillah. From today, we will be starting in the second third of the Quran, and that is the 11th juz. Bi'idhinillah, today we will touch on three stories. The first is a continuation of the Battle of Tabuk, where three of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, who were good people, who were known to be pious people, they had missed out on this battle. They refused to lie to the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rather, they remained truthful. Even Allah, we will discuss their story today. assalamu alaikum, wa alaikum assalam, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, Sheikh
1: Adnan? Alhamdulillah, all well. How are you? I hope you're well. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I'm well, and we hope all the views, viewers are well as, as well. Allah, we hope they're all well, enjoying the month of Ramadan and ready for the second third, I guess, inshallah. Yeah, yeah, subhanAllah, it's just passing so quickly. It's already 10 days? Almost, yes. we've uh, On the 11th juz, so we're close to 10 days. 10 days, yeah,
0: subhanAllah, subhanAllah. Shaykhana, when we spoke about yesterday's juz, or in yesterday's juz, we we mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he spoke about some of the battles. The last one he speaks about is the Battle of Tabuk. Tabuk occurred at a time where it was very hot. People who missed out or who didn't go out with the messenger, be upon him) were mainly those who were either excused or they were hypocrites through and through. From amongst these people who missed out, however, were three Sahaba who were known as good Muslims. And when Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam came back to Medina and he asked about these people, he, everybody who had missed out came to give their excuses. People lied. People said, you know, they gave all sorts of excuses. However, these three, they refused to lie. They refused to make any excuse. Basically, it was shaitan and laziness. They didn't end up going. So we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about their story. After the Messenger وسلم, came back and these people had come, they didn't have a real excuse. They were boycotted by society, people weren't supposed to talk to them, interact with them, and this carried on for a while until revelation came. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, In fact, before that he says, basically, Allah has forgiven and accepted the tawbah and istighfar of the Nabi and the Muhajirun and the Ansar. He then mentions these three, the three who refused to tell a lie. خلفوا, those three who, remind, who remained behind. حَتَّى إِذَا ضاقت عليهم الأرض بما The whole earth around them, all the people, they had boycotted them, everything seemed so narrow outwardly and inwardly also. And inwardly they knew or they felt that sense of narrowness وظنوا, and they knew most definitely, Allah Ilayh." You know, there's no escape from Allah. The only one who can save at this time of
1: difficulty is Allah. Yes, subhanAllah. Well, what I found amazing in that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they they spoke the truth or the the Prophet we know from the narrations that these people went and there's a a very detailed narration in which Ka'b ibn ibn Malik says that he went to the Prophet and as he was going he thought to himself maybe I can say this maybe I can say that and then he realized to himself that I cannot say anything except the truth so he went to the messenger and he said that which was the truth and Ultimately, this led to his, you know, being uh, marginalized in society, where people didn't talk to him, people, you know, kept him one side, they boycotted him, basically, and it was said that he was even told to keep away from his wife at some point, but he stuck to the truth. He didn't change his story. There were people, after he had told the truth, that nearly convinced him to go back and Lie once again to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but he stuck to the truth, and ultimately verses of the Quran were revealed regarding this sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu and the other two who were left behind. So, when we speak the truth and we say that which is correct, then ultimately Allah subhanahu wa taala, He will grant us the you know the freedom from that. Uh, situation or that difficulty that problem sometimes you think that maybe if i just tell a lie here i'll get out of it i'll be able to escape from this situation but when you utter the truth when you say the truth then it's possible that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test you with different uh, difficulties and circumstances but after you have passed that test then there'll be so much goodness that will come into your life imagine till today we're mentioning the, these sahabas' names, uh, ashabs' names. Why? Because they told the truth and they stuck to the truth. Had they spoken a lie, they would have been forgotten like the rest of the people who had lied at the time to the messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Somebody is
0: asking, could you name the sahaba, please? The sahaba Ka'b ibn Malik, Murara ibn Rabir, and Hilal ibn Umayyah. And uh, somebody taught us before, if you want to remember it, remember Makkah, mim For Murarah, Kaaf for and that Ha for Hilal. So, inshallah, that way you can remember these Sahaba or these uh, companions' names. For me, what stood out? A few things. When Allah says, You know, after this narrowness, this difficulty, this hardship, they knew, can mean they fought. Or in a lot of places in the Qur'an, dhanna means bil yaqeen, they most definitely knew. Here it means they most definitely knew that the only escape now is if Allah grants us this freedom. A lot of times with your difficulty and hardship, if it's bringing you closer to Allah, if you're starting to do goodness, you find you are attached to Allah. That is a good sign. And bi you carry on with this and whatever you've been afflicted with, it will come to pass bi Another interesting point mentioned in the same narrations, a long narration, Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu speaks about his tawbah, and he says when glad tidings came to him, he then, you know, he headed out to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and a lot of people were giving glad tidings. When he reached the place where the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was, I'm sure it was the masjid, he then says one person from the Muhajirun stood up, came running to him. And you know, he shook his hand and embraced him and congratulated him for his tawbah and that his tawbah had been accepted. And this was Talha ibn Ubaidillah. It then mentions in the hadith, and this instance, or this, you know, this, uh, what what had occurred here, Ka'bub ibn Malik always remembered it. He always remembered this motif or what had occurred with Talha. Imagine, you coming to a place and one person comes out and he comes to you and embraces you and he makes like, you know, you are the most important person in that, in that moment. That is your moment. Look at how this Sahabi, Talha ibn Ubaidillah, was able to leave that mark, bi in the heart of Ka'b ibn Malik. Hence in the hadith, it still says, and he used to hold it, he used to cherish that moment and he used to have a special place for
1: this Sahabi. Subhanallah, Wallahi, The way we treat others is how they remember us. Not uh, sometimes the way what we've done for them, but the way we treat them. You know, people tend to forget that you helped them out or you did something for them. But when you treat someone well, uh, then that person will always remember. You know, that day he did X, Y, and Z. He stood up. He hugged me. He greeted me. He, uh, you know, he showed me so much love. They'll remember these things uh, because us human beings are emotional. Uh, beings. So ultimately the way we are treated is what we remember and that's why I find it so interesting where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says And as for the one who is begging, he's asking don't give him a bad word, don't chase him away rather give him a good word, leave him with a good word. You know in the hadith Rasulullah says that even a good word is a sadaqah. Uh, so if you have nothing to offer materially then say something good to them, make them laugh, make them smile, joke around with them. And and at least you've left them in a better mood.
0: Yes, acknowledging people and with the correct intention, obviously. Another point he mentions in this hadith is that he told the Messenger Wasallam after be, uh, being granted glad tidings that he wanted to give all his wealth away. He was happy. He was you know excited, and the Messenger Wasallam tells him, "Keep some of your wealth. Keep some of your wealth." I think there's a very important lesson in there. At times, you know, when we're too happy or too sad, we might do something that's a little bit irrational. Look at the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes, if somebody wants to give all his wealth and he wants to do a good deed, one of us might think, yeah, 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 give it and give more and give more. The Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had a vision. He said, if this man gives everything now, what will he live off? He'll become, you know, a liability to society, maybe, maybe. Even when it came to uh, one of the sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, who was sick in Makkah and he wanted to give all his wealth away. And then he said, no, half. And then eventually he reached a third. Imagine from wanting to give all of it away, the messenger, wasallam, said, no, and a third is a lot. It's better for you to leave those who are inheriting your money, your two girls at the time he had, leave them with something instead of leaving them to beg from the people. And this vision and this, you know, Looking further into the future, I'm not saying knowing the unseen, but I'm saying, you know, being realistic is something we take, uh, some of the is a lesson we take from the hadith of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
1: Yes, absolutely. Wallahi, that's so true. Uh, when we're emotional, we make decisions that affect us hundred percent. moving on to the next story, we find
0: Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala speaks about Nuh السلام, in brief. He mentions his story. He mentioned, uh, Allah says, Alayhim uh, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions the story of Nuh in brief. For me, what stood out is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after he was belied, after his people, you know, they said that this guy, we don't want to believe in him, his message is false, etc. Allah says, uh, he then saved him. فَنَجَّيْنَاهُ or I can't quite remember right now. But he's Allah says that He saved him, right? Some of the Mufassirin mentioned that when you realize, when you realize that the only one who can save you from the harm of people is Allah, then you've truly reached a level where you know what you you truly living the hadith and you live in Islam where you know that nobody can benefit you in any way and nobody can harm you in any way except Allah. And if people try and you are steadfast, bi in Allah will protect you and save you.
1: Yes, wallahi, we, we tend to attribute power to people who don't really actually deserve that power. You know, in our minds, we, we feel that they have the control or authority over something, not remembering or forgetting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who ultimately Controls everyone and everything in existence. So if we have a link with he who controls everything, then uh, absolutely no need to worry about anyone else. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that if you are to turn away, then I have not asked you for any reward. In Allah, Indeed, my reward is only upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So What I find amazing is the way in which he says that if you are to turn away, then my reward is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I haven't asked you for anything. The fact that he hadn't asked them for anything meant that he didn't really bother about their response. Meaning, if you are angry, you are angry. If you are happy, you are happy. Look, I'm telling you what's right and I'm telling you what's the truth. I think this affects a lot of the people who are giving da'wah or those who are imams or sheikhs or a person just generally in, in that position. What happens is you've got someone giving you a salary and the minute that something goes wrong and you have to say the truth, you're you stuck between the truth and getting your salary. So you 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 now, you know, Side with the people, the committee, or the people of the mosque, or the uh, leaders in the mosque. Why? Because, and I'm not talking about any specific mosque, but it happens so often that because now, hey, my salary comes from here. Now, I was actually sitting in a majlis one day when a scholar reminded one of the uh, mashayikh that was there that, your rizq is in the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives you and provides for you. Don't worry where your wages will come from if you are in such a situation. And I think it's important for a person to remember also that as far as possible, try to gain some other sort of income, some other form of income, work towards something. Yes, your time for madrasa, your time for teaching, your time for imamah, give it in full, make sure that you uh, give it fully and properly. But on the side, when you have time, Go online, trade, do something, find some goods, buy something, sell it, produce something and sell it. Maybe that will grow. And if you have the right intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you independent, then you can become fully independent and then contribute towards the masjid that was employing you at some point. So with the right intention that, Ya Allah, I want to be independent so that nobody has a say over me. Uh, rather, when I need to say something of the truth, then I will say it and it will be out there. Uh, I think that this is very, very important because our deen gets lost in the way, you know, in, on the way, uh, whilst people are doing this, uh, where they support the wrong ideology or mentality solely because it comes from someone who is in authority or in power.
0: You know, you mentioned such an important point that we can actually go on episodes and episodes and carry on speaking about this point. A few things I'll add there is when it comes to this point especially, unfortunately, it's looked upon as a taboo in society for uh, somebody who is known as a sheikh or somebody religious to go out and actually have his own business or actually earn some of his own wealth. Rasulullah ﷺ himself bought and sold. The Sahaba عنهم, bought and sold. From the Ashara who were given glad tidings of Jannah? The ten we find a lot. Of, most of them were businessmen, if not all, and they were the richest of people. Uthman ibn Affan anhu, Ali radiyallahu anhu in Sahih al Bukhari. He says that before he wanted to marry the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he went with one of the people to one of the marketplaces, and he wanted to buy some idhir, some lemon grass to bring it from there to Medina in order to sell. Who is this? This is the son-in-law of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Someone who has given glad tidings of Jannah. The messenger, sallallahu Alaihi wasallam, didn't yes, say, now today, uh, my son-in-law and daughter, they want to get married. So everybody, you know, start raising money and give and give. No, he himself went up. That's another, that's one point. Another point is try as far as you can. We're not talking, people's situations are different. They are those who may be in a better position than others. Alhamdulillah, they don't need to take any money or anything. Alhamdulillah, that's from Allah. You should thank him and try your best to carry on. Those who may be in that position, try not to make your deen, your knowledge, uh, something that's only money, money, money. And we're not saying it's not allowed. We're saying don't make your intention that. Try to have something else. Try to make your knowledge and your message stand without... You know other people having to prop it up or support you, another interesting point that comes up, even when it comes to organizations we're not saying don't ask for money, don't this, but we can't be people who carry on saying, "Give, give, 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 and we've got no structure and no nothing in place that is sustainable. What happens if you're reliant on farmers and they don't have a harvest? Does that mean the poor people used to give stuff to death? What happens to those people who for example you know what, they were reliant on a certain business that always provided. This year, they don't have a profit. That's why if you look at the Anbiya والسلام, some of the stories, Yusuf alayhi salaam, yes, he was a Nabi. We read the story about it, but we could call him in our terms, the, the economist of his time. Look at how he could see further into the future, bi through the dream. You know what, these seven years are going to come. We need to plan for it. There's going to be difficult times. Also, another thing I find that uh, a lot of the organizations and that, or even businesses in general, when things are going well, that's not the plan. For the next five years, it's not going to be like that. It will go up and it will also go down. Prepare for those days. And I think there's a lot more that can be said there. It's about time we get to the next level and we start being from those ulama du'at organizations who can sustain ourselves firstly and we can give others not always asking asking and asking
1: yes wallahi like you said we can continue talking about this for a long time because you mentioned something about business uh, being up and down and i can i can talk quite
0: <laughs> aso Yes, Sheikh, and I think it cut off a little while. There's one more thing I want to mention on that topic. Is when we learn dua, we, ask Allah, we say, fid dunya hasana. Oh Allah, grant us goodness in this world. Hasana. And the this we also talking, we're not only making dua that, uh, you know, grant us Jannah, we're also asking for goodness in this world. And there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong in learning from somebody else who knows in business, no matter who they may be. There's nothing wrong in learning. Learn from somebody who, you know, and a problem we have is we always want to look back in history and say the Muslims were once great and we once knew this, and talk about now, those who are Muslims, yes, it's nice to know that they brought this knowledge and this knowledge and this knowledge. What about us? It's about time we, in the same way in the previous, uh, few years ago, hundreds of years ago, they came, took that knowledge, Took it back home and implemented. We need to go to them and learn certain things to implement them today. There's no use talking about a wonderful past when we ourselves today have got nothing to show. The only thing we say is this guy came before and he spoke about this and this was a rule that's being practiced now. What about us? So I think it's a very long
1: topic that we could carry on. Hey, yes, yes, wallahi. I, I want to say so much, but uh, I think let, let's move on, inshallah. Moving on to the
0: next story, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks immediately, uh, after that he speaks about Musa alayhi salam. He speaks about Musa alayhi salam and the magicians, he speaks about the dua of Musa alayhi salam, he eventually speaks about the demise of Fir'aun and how he was drowned. For me a few points stand out here. Number one is the point of magic. When Musa alayhi salam said, The only thing these people came with was magic, and Allah will most definitely destroy it. A few things and a few categories of people. Number one, when I'm talking about magic in general, some people are a bit too superstitious. Every little thing is magic and ayn and of that sort. You no, know, read your adhkar, read your du'as. Allah will protect you. As for somebody who's actually been, you know, afflicted by this, there's different types of magic. bi maybe in the future we'll speak about it. But look at how the stories we mentioned before. The first thing you need to be attached to Allah. Remember this cure of yours will come from Allah only. Musa salam said, inna Allah, Allah will destroy this magic. There's different types of magic. What uh, brings husband and wife closer, what takes them apart, who, you know, for somebody to go mental, etc. There's different types of things. There's also ayn and hasad, the evil eye, jealousy. We should read our afkar. If somebody is afflicted with this remember the first thing attach yourself to Allah. The second thing try and get rid of all you know sinful things and things that disobey Allah whether it's in the house whether it's in your deeds your day to day whether it's music and anything everything that you know displeases Allah throw it out. That's one of the, that's the second one of the most important things you can do. Another thing when reading the Quran Remember who is Allah? You need to ponder over his names. You need to realize who he is. Some people say I read so many adqara and it doesn't work. Because you haven't read it with conviction. You don't know who you're calling out to. Allah says, Imagine this this being who the whole world is is nothing. He he holds it completely and the heavens and everything that is there and it will be all, you know, folded up. The minute you realize that you're calling out to the one who is kind, the one who wants to give you, the one who is able to do everything for you, things become easy. Recite the Quran. Don't become attached to a Qari or a Raqi, somebody who comes to recite. Especially, we're not saying it's haram. We're saying especially people who uh, make a business out of it. So many times, you reciting on yourself with that khushur, with that concentration, fear of Allah, realizing who he is. That recitation is more beneficial than any Qari or any sheikh that can come to your house to recite on you or somebody who is sick.
1: It's excellent. Wallahi, I was hoping you'd carry on, you know, because it's a topic that people really, really, really need. Uh, just today, I, I met someone and he told me, he says, you know, I think someone's done magic to my son. And I, I told him, I said, look, the best thing you've got to do is attach yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask him to get rid of this this, this problem. And you've mentioned some solid points. Number one, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, attach yourself to him. Number two, uh, get rid of the disobedience in your life. You know, that that's very important. And uh, number three is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his names and his attributes. Of course. Uh, we all call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but how many of us do so knowing the being and the uh, capabilities that he has, the attributes, names that he has. Uh, when you do this with this in mind, then definitely your dua will change, your salah will change, your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes. So I, I, I really believe that this is a very important topic that you've uh, touched on there. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He saw the the sea splitting, right? We took the children of Israel across the sea. Now, Firaun, so Pharaoh and his soldiers pursued them in tyranny and enmity, right? Until when drowning overtook him. Firaun followed Musa into the sea, yet he knew that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had split the sea. How do we know this? Because he knew that I'm not the one that did it. I didn't have the authority and capacity to do so. So there must be a being that did this for Musa. Who's that being? The the Rabb of Musa and Harun, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even though he knew that he didn't do it, he took the chance to go in and... Pursue Musa. And some of the mufassirin they, they, they make a, uh, an analogy here and say that perhaps he did this because of the people around him. So there were people around him. Now it's too late for him to now say, ah, I didn't do this or I'm not the one, you know, or I can't go into the sea. Musa has defeated you. He's gone into the sea. The sea split for him and his people. Now, are you going to follow him? He he has no chance to sit and start discussing and say, no, hold on, wait. He just followed. So he led himself into destruction because of those around him. Sometimes the people around you can cause you to do harm to yourself and them as well. Uh, You need to be very careful. Your company is of utmost importance. You can end up taking drugs just because your friend is doing so. You can end up leading yourself into destruction just because those around you are, are there or sometimes you feel too ashamed not to do it. I think we, from this, what we can take away to implement into our lives is peer pressure. Don't just do something because those around you are doing it or uh, because of the pressure that's mounting on you to do it. Rather, think rationally. At that moment, if Fir'aun had finally said, okay, I believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would have sufficed him. It would have been okay for him. He would have his tawbah would have been accepted by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. By the permission of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but he he chose to follow Musa into the sea. And ultimately, a few moments later, when he uttered that shahada, it was useless and it, there was no point because at that point uh, he had already uh, seen the unseen. You know, just
0: before that, Allah says, "When Musa alayhi salam made a dua." Harun alayhi salam saying ameen. Allah says, qad I've accepted your, both of your du'as. He then says, Fastaqima. Stay upright. You know, Stay on the right path. Be you know, Carry on with your good deeds. Don't give up. So many times we find our du'a, it may be accepted, but because we have come, as we mentioned before, from a place of victory, we, we then throw it away by doing evil, by doing bad. So here he's telling a Nabi or two Anbiya that you know what, your dua is accepted, stay stay steadfast, carry on with the good you are doing and increase. After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about how he drowned uh, Fir'aun. For me, what's interesting is that Fir'aun came out of the city, going behind these people as a tyrant, trying to get hold of them. He didn't realize Allah took him out of his palace and his everything that was under his reign at the time, Allah took him out, drove him out to a place where, you know, his destruction was written. So many times we don't realize that, you know, we think we are doing something, we are going to get somebody else. And that's just the trap you're going to and you're going to fall into it. That's why Allah says, Some people, you know, those who carry on doing bad and evil, Allah takes them. He leads them to a place where their destruction will be And they don't even realize, Fir'aun thought he was going there, he was going to catch them and bring them back. Little did he know that his demise was written there in the sea.
1: Wallahi, wallahi, Uh, 100%. Sometimes we don't even realize where where we are headed and what we're uh, doing. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, After he died, he says that today we will save you with your body or we will save your body so that you may be a sign for those after you, right? So what I find amazing is that this is poetic justice. Here, Fir'aun was telling himself and he was telling the people that I am God and I am the highest, right? Your That same body that he claimed to be part of that godhood is now a sign for oh, his very humanity and his weakness in front of the people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this there's a profound message for all of us, that no matter how high you are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala early on, says, وَإِنَّ فِرْعَوْنَ لَعَالٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ And Fir'aun was high upon the earth, in the earth. He was very arrogant, right? But here he is lying dead, and his corpse is a sign for those to come after him. So, There's poetic justice in that. Remember that you belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna lillah. Indeed, we are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We belong to Him completely, in totality. We don't own our bodies. We don't, uh, yes, we may be in possession of them for now, but ultimately that belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no matter how uh, great you may become, how big, you know, muscularly you may become, or authoritatively you may become, remember that ultimately, All of us belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even Fir'aun, he died. Uh, Banu Israel, you know, imagine the feelings that they had. This was a people who were enslaved by Fir'aun and how he had punished them and put them through so much. And now here he is lying dead, a corpse, gone. A sign for them that, you know, no matter how high a person may be, ultimately he belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will return to him.
0: May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all, you know, a good death and make us from those who are pious, save from the punishment and Amen. entered into al fibdos Al-A'la, the highest part of Jannah. Amin. Mm-hmm. Shaykhana, is there anything mm-hmm. you'd like to add on?
1: I think there were a few requests where people were uh, requesting we speak about magic. So maybe, inshallah, after Ramadan, uh, we could make a, a session talking about magic, etc. Inshallah, bi Inshallah, inshallah. Uh, jazakallah khair otherwise uh, mm-hmm. anything else? that's all I
0: think barakallah inshallah we see you tomorrow tomorrow is the 12th juz Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, the best of stories the story of Yusuf alayhi salam and inshallah we'll try to get something or well, a few benefits which people generally haven't heard in ibnillah we will try our best and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the tawfiq ameen we'll inshallah we leave it
1: there
0: Okay, then. salamu alaykum.